few announcements for you. Uh, number one, we have the Servants Conference coming up this coming Saturday. And so I want to remind you once more, um, if you haven't RSVP'd, please let us know. Whether you're coming or not, just let us know. That way we're not wondering. And um, in that way, as you do come, we're prepared uh, because if you're able to stick around for lunch, we do have a lunch um, that we'll make available for you. Um, but I do want to heavenly and heavily emphasize <laughs> that conference because it's something that, again, it's the first time that we do it as far as bringing in speakers and, and, uh, and having senior pastors of other churches pour into our, um, uh, the people who serve here. Um, but I think it's, it's something very special, something that um, they can share with us those things that they've been, um, you know, dealing with in their own churches and, how, and what it is that's encouraging to us. It's universal. It's throughout the whole church. And, uh, and so I encourage you to come out for that. So that's this coming sa- Saturday, October 20th, from 9 to 1 p.m. And then we also have these mission shoebox, um, shoeboxes that we're putting together. This is for the uh, missionary t- uh, team that's going down to Mexico in January. Uh, these um, are going to be going to a woman's home in Mexico. Uh, again, this is in January. And so we'd like to take as many boxes as we possibly can. And so we need your help providing the things um, that we're going to fill these shoe boxes with. Ziploc bags. And there are a list of ideas that are there at the table, information table, uh, right behind us. Um, that way you can fill them up and bring them in. And, uh, and we can just bless these, these children with these, uh, these items. And so I encourage you. This is how you can participate with those shoe boxes. But as well as those shoe boxes, also in prayer. So make sure that you are even now um, on your knees praying for the work that the Lord has ordained for us to take part in there in Mexico. And so with that, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And the title of this morning's message is A Willing Spirit and a Weak Flesh. Um, I think we can all um, really agree to the fact that uh, the things that we intend to do aren't always the things that we do, right? <laughs> all right, you know what? I'm going to have everyone stand up. <clears throat> stand, cl- close those Bibles. Stand up. <laughs> do some cartwheels. stretch and greet one another do that quick move quickly get that blood flowing So it was um, it was fun. Yesterday we had um, our grandson and granddaughter Caleb and Audrey spend the night, and um, so it, it was funny. <laughs> so 
Audrey wanted to speak to Mama, and so she, but she wanted to see her, so not just talk on the phone, but FaceTime. She said, I want to see my mom, so they were talking on the phone, and so Ada, knowing her daughter very well, uh, was asking her, who are you sleeping with? And she said, with Jeepon and Mimi, and she said, okay, just don't kick them, right? <laughs> um, and she kicked all night. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. I found myself, I was telling someone earlier, I found myself at, at one point like on the edge of the bed. <laughs> oh, the joys though. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. Uh, they, uh, Bettina and Audrey made cookies last night. And um, so she, you know, what do you do when your granddaughter continues to feed you cookies but eat them, right? <laughs> <laughs> so she kept coming around with the plate, you know, to everyone offering cookies. And then when that plate was gone, you know, she'd go back and reload and, and go back and here's some more. But uh, <clears throat> if, if we have that type of a joy with our grandkids and with our kids, um, how much of a joy does our father have with his children when they simply abide in him and they... Enjoy that time with him, you know, to bring, uh, bring, bring us close to him in, in prayer and a time of fellowship, worship. This morning, just in, in a time of praise and worshiping the Lord, um, how it is that him being our perfect father, our holy father, righteous father, uh, is fully enjoying um, this, this fellowship of the brethren coming together in his name and just simply being with him. And that's what I pray this morning, that, that we understand that we're here at the Lord's feet. We're here to hear from Him. Just whatever it is that He has for us to hear. And I pray that he would, His Word would penetrate our hearts. That we would mo- more closely resemble Him as He continues to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to be taking a look at this uh, section of Scripture, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 30 through 46. And again, the title of this morning's message is A Willing Spirit and a Weak Flesh. I didn't put on there, I didn't write a willing spirit, but a weak flesh, uh, because we possess them both. We possess a willing spirit and we possess a weak flesh. We need to understand that and see how it is that we can work that to our benefit into the Lord's glory. So let's begin by reading the first few verses here, beginning in chapter 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we know, Lord, as we continue to, to live these lives of ours, Father, that you have given to us, Lord, our spirits indeed are willing, 
oh, the things that we want to do, that we desire to do. And yet we know that there is a battle that rages within us. The battle of the spirit against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize where it is that we draw our strength from. Who it is that we are to cling to. And it's not the flesh. And so I pray, Father, that uh, you would do your effective work this morning in our lives. That you would encourage, exhort, and build your people up. Lord, to be strong as far as the church is concerned. And, and Lord, that we may be imparted to us, Lord, that, that we may have that wisdom, Lord, to deal with things in our own lives that bless you in a way that blesses you. And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands. Father, we again ask for your blessing, your anointing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, the things that we could do if the Spirit and the flesh cooperated and worked together on a regular basis, right? Oh, man, if they, if they just were, would work together, it would be so awesome. The things that we couldn't accomplish are just beyond our imagination. But it doesn't work that way, does it? You and I both know that there is a war happening within us. Our spirit is like that person uh, that has endless energy. You know that person. You have someone in your life that has endless energy, continues to go on and on and on and on, has endless ideas, and is always ready to go because there is really nothing we can do. Right? Oh, come on. Let's go. I have an idea. And you're like, something else? What are we doing now? Right? Hey, listen. It's time to go down. No, man, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's go. We can do this. Our flesh is like that person that likes to rest, chill, and just eat, avoid confrontation of any and all kinds. Just kind of just go with the flow, right? And kind of just also do random things, whatever comes up, whatever is best, you know, never commit to anything, just random things at any any time, any given moment. You know, one moment we say yes to this, and then if something else that's better comes along, then we say yes to that. But yet something even better comes up, and we say yes to that, right? Always leaving ourselves open to the best possible things we can experience in life. That's the flesh, isn't it? After all, why do things today when you can do them tomorrow? Procrastination. Listen, the battle is real, isn't it? There is this um, tweet that I read. Procrastination has taught me how to do 30 minutes of work in 8 hours, and 8 hours of work in 30 minutes. For those of you who um, have gone through, maybe you're in high school right now or in college, you're taking, taking some classes online, and you, you know this very well, how it is, why, why do eight hours of work in eight hours when you can wait till the very last minute and cram it all in with 10 cups of coffee and do eight hours of work in 30 minutes? That's the flesh, that it 
is exactly what the flesh is. This serves as an illustration of how it is that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I intended to do those things, but I didn't do it. Even when it comes to, and maybe even especially, things pertaining to the Lord, as we'll see this morning. You see, Jesus had just led his disciples in the Passover established communion, declared that one of his friends would betray him, washed their feet, commanded them to love one another as he has loved them, and told them that he was the only way to the Father. Told them that if they loved him, then they would keep his commandments. Talked about the vine and the branches and how apart from him, you can do nothing and much more. He shared all of these things with them. And as they are led by Jesus in the singing of a hymn, the question even with that, verse 30, how we, how we read how they sung a hymn and then they left from where they were in that home to Gethsemane. How many of you, knowing that you were going to die, would be able to sing a hymn? But he did. And he led them in that hymn. And that scene. And they left the house traveling to the Mount of Olives. Jesus tells them that they would all fall away and be scattered on this very night, fulfilling prophecy. But they all denied that this would happen. Especially one very vocal person, right? Peter. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. In other words, they agreed. They're like, yep, amen. I agree. That's it. There's no way. There's no way we're going to deny you. There's no way we're going to scatter. There's no way we're going to forsake you, Lord. Number one, do not overestimate the flesh. You're jotting down notes. Jot that. Do not, don't overestimate the flesh. The spirit, the spirit indeed is willing. It is a fact that the Spirit is willing. The Spirit's desire is without a doubt to stand with Jesus, even if it means death. Peter and all of the disciples emphatically stated they would never deny Jesus. Now, how many of you as Christians would say that very same thing? Hopefully all of us, right? But how about if we were persecuted? I mean truly persecuted. I mean our lives are in the balance. And we were asked at that very moment, would you follow Christ or deny Him and live? Confess Him and die? Profess Him? Or, or yeah, confess Him and die? Or, or deny Him? And live. Which one would you like to do? That is the very thing that these disciples were confronted with, with that option. Remain with Jesus, and you see everyone that's coming to take him away, possibly die with him. <laughs> they were gone, right? All you saw is the cartoons, you know, like the cartoons, you see this little, this little dust cloud. Behind them, they all scattered. But Jesus was telling them that this is exactly what they were going to do. Oh, the Spirit indeed is willing, 
They told him, hey, listen, if we have to die with you, we will die with you, but we will not deny you. On the other hand, we have this story of boldness and confidence in the Lord. In Acts chapter 4 and 3, leading into 4, we know about how Peter and John had been arrested, thrown into prison, held overnight, and then brought before the rulers and elders and scribes, along with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And that following day, Peter and John were cross-examined by all of these people. And they asked them, by what power, by what name did you do this? And they were referring to the healing of a lame beggar at the gate that was over 40 years old. In other words, he was well known uh, that he was lame. He could not walk. He was one who asked alms. In other words, he, he asked for, for handouts. Give me what, what you have, whatever you have. You know, I, I can't work, and therefore. So that he was known very well by all. And he was made to walk by faith in Jesus Christ, according to Acts chapter 3, verse 16. This is what they were cross-examined for. Oh, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand and walk. Oh, he stood and walked. This is what they were being questioned about. They were so confident in the Lord, and at this time knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus was and is, and told them about Jesus, and that they were the ones who had crucified Jesus, but that God had raised him from the dead, and that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is where we find it. These were the very same men that scattered when they came to take Jesus away. Now they're in their face telling them exactly who they were and who he is and that he is resurrected. That he is the way to salvation. Come what may. They ended up telling them that they were commanded to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they commanded, hey, listen, uh, we understand, you know, you believe these things, but, but don't keep talking about this Jesus to everyone. Okay. So we're commanding you, by the authority that we have, to stop talking, stop speaking, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. If you know what's good for you, you will stop doing this. Because you're causing trouble. And Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What happened here? Peter. Peter took, took out his little pocket knife and chopped off Malchus's ear, right? Not, not now, Peter. Not now, right? Healed Malchus, put his ear back, back on. The one that denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus told him, you're going to do this. He told the disciples, you're all going to scatter. And now, in the book of Acts, they're bold and confident in this way. What happened? 
This happened after having been filled with the Spirit of God and not putting any trust in the flesh, but solely speaking out by what they had come to know, that Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and by whom salvation is known by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It was at this time that the disciples were demonstrating what they had said to Jesus back at the Mount of Olives, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now they were doing it. Then they were not. Have you ever failed Jesus? Have you ever been ashamed of him? Let me put it to you this way. Has there been a moment to where you felt the flesh struggling against the spirit? The spirit's telling you to do one thing and you deny the spirit because the flesh is too, too strong at that moment. Okay. If you've ever done that, you've denied the Lord. So at this point, have you ever denied the Lord? All hands should go up. If you're truthful. If not, then repent. You're a liar. We all have at some point. Uh, in the prayer room, right? we were just talking about many things. One of the things that, if, and I'm going to ask you this morning, you don't have to answer, right? The one thing, the one, there's only one question I need to ask you. We're all told to do the work of an evangelist. Let me ask you, we're in the 10th month of the year. We have two months left. How many people have you shared your faith with? And how many people have you led to Christ? You can't save them, but how many people have you led to Christ? With that alone, this is the very place where judgment should start. This is the very place where we need to get right with the Lord to where we realize, oh, these are the things, these are the, the, these are the small details in my life to where as I grow with the Lord, I need to share with others that they too would come to know the saving uh, grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. They knew it. They had the Holy Spirit. But let's go back. Because they did deny Jesus and they did scatter. What's interesting, though, is that Jesus, knowing all things, even as he led his disciples in a hymn prior to going to the cross, and even knowing that his disciples would forsake him, according to prophecy, was looking beyond the cross. That's our Savior. That's our God. Listen to God's word, walk in the spirit, and do not overestimate the flesh. Acknowledge it, know it for what it is, and also know who overcomes it. Key point number one, and lesson number one, don't overestimate the flesh. Let's go on though, don't underestimate prayer. Verse 36, as we continue... Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here 
and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's at this time that we see how it is that Jesus and his disciples had left the Mount of Olives. They've traveled a distance to the Garden of Gethsemane from the temple in Jerusalem. It is east across the Brook Kidron on a slope with many trees, olive trees. It's a grove. And it's facing the temple. The name Gethsemane means olive press. And it's interesting, as this was a favorite place for Jesus to go and spend time with the Father praying. And this was the very place that Jesus would indeed be pressed with anguish. His soul being troubled and sorrowful. Reminded me how it is that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it is written to pray without ceasing. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus, the Son of God, then one who desired above all to do the will of the Father, would often slip away all by himself to spend time between him and the Father. Jesus taught, but we never read about Jesus teaching his disciples how to teach. Jesus performed miracles, but we never read about Jesus teaching his disciples how to perform miracles. I hear it's just slapping on the forehead, and then they're healed, right? It's, it goes something. No, not like that. Yeah, or the, <laughs> the jacket. <laughs> if you haven't seen that video, you got it. Check it out. It's definitely entertainment, but not right. Jesus prayed. And this Jesus did teach his disciples to pray like them like this. Jesus knew scripture, but at this point he didn't spend time going over verses over and over again, time searching the scriptures he prayed. He spent time with the Father searching his heart. He wanted to spend time. He, he knew the word. And when he went in prayer to the Father, he was searching 
the Father's heart that he knew was in line with the word of God. It's his very will. It's his very plan. It's his very purpose. When a child's soul is in anguish, he doesn't desire to read, but simply be with his father or mother and draw strength from them. Just simply remain in their embrace, close and intimate. If you want to test that out, just watch a child fall down and scrape themselves. They come crying. Read me a bedtime story, please, quick. That's not what they're asking for, right? What they're asking for is simply an embrace to come in really close. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he is the one that would often separate himself, go into the wilderness and pray, spending time with the Father. And at this point in the Garden of Gethsemane, he t- yes, he took his disciples with him, but he went on a little farther and just spent time with the Father. So here we see Jesus knowing that his hour has come and he was about to be handed over to be crucified, betrayed by Judas Iscariot, and he's brought again his disciples with him to pray. Jesus left the other disciples in one place. And he took three with him. Peter, James, and John. And then leaving them in their place, he went on a little farther and spent time with the Father alone. But it was with them that he began to express his sorrow. It was to those three, Peter, James, and John, that he began to demonstrate to them, I am in deep anguish. Oh, can you, can you stay and watch with me? I'm going off to a distance and praying, but, but just stay with me. Watch and pray. In other words, stay awake and Pray. Because he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus was now in distress. Distress is experienced when a person is in the middle of a crisis that threatens their very life. You know, sometimes we say, oh, well, that person is in distress. No, you have not seen someone in distress until you have seen them come to a place to where they believe their life is in danger. That's distress. Jesus prayed, and when he prayed, he sweat drops of blood to the point to where his his heart was just absolutely being crushed. That's distressed. It was this distress that he felt that led him to ask the Father three times, three times to allow the cup to pass, not the cup of death, but the cup of wrath that would be poured out on him because of the sin of the world that he was about to have poured out on him. Jesus' agony in the garden was because he was about to bear the righteous judgment of a righteous and holy God, the Father, upon him. The sin of the world would be bore by him 
he would take upon himself and yield his own life to death by his own choice and according to the Father's will. Jesus would indeed drink the cup of judgment that we deserve. But by doing so, Jesus provided salvation to the world through him by grace. His doing and his gift, not deserved, not earned, but by his grace, his finished work through faith, that is, believe in him who went to the cross for you and I. Jesus traveled a little farther, again, fell on his face, and he did one thing, he prayed. How about his disciples? All of them were brought to Gethsemane, but three were singled out and brought even closer, as I said earlier. Jesus expressing to them his anguish, sorrow, and exposing his troubled spirit. And Jesus again asked them to do two simple things. Just two things. It's not complicated. Please, stay awake and pray. Just stay awake and pray. I'm going to repeat this one more time because I really want you to do this. I need you to do this. Stay awake and pray. With this, Jesus explicitly needed them to help him out in this way and requested their help in this incredible time of trouble. But they let him down. Imagine coming back and and the Lord comes back to you. Peter. Peter. Peter already knows that he's troubled in his spirit. He's full of sorrow. Can you imagine being woken up by the Lord? Peter. So could you not watch with me one hour? Just one hour. Sometimes, I mean, we pray and it's like 15 minutes into it. We're like, wow, this is a long time. Lord, that was a long time, wasn't it? He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Lord understood. I, I know, Peter, your, your spirit, and James and John, by the way, were right there. I, I know, your, your spirit is, is indeed willing. It's a fact. But the flesh, you need to understand, it's weak. So do everything you can. Stand up. Why don't you stand up? If you fall asleep standing up, you won't be asleep for very long, right? (laughs) As soon as you hit the ground, you'll pop right back up. The flesh is weak. And he knew. It wasn't once that he went back. It was three times. Three times. They let him down. Jesus desired their intercession, but little did they really know that even when letting their Lord down, he would be their intercessor and advocate in heaven before the Father, according to Romans 8.34 and 1 John 2.1. Jesus knew a few things before and during the, t- the time that he brought his disciples to Gethsemane to pray. Jesus knew they were tired, And he brought them anyway. 
It had been a long day. Jesus knew that they were inconvenienced, but he brought them anyway. Jesus, although he asked for them to pray, did not rely on their prayers to get him through this most difficult of time. Sometimes, yes, we do and should rely on one another to get us through difficult times. But let me tell you that you cannot look to each other to fully get you through things. it's, It's really not really up to them. It's between you and the Lord. Really, we should learn to cling to, fix our eyes on the one who can get us through our most difficult of moments. If if you can learn anything this morning, is in prayer, cling to Him. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Trust in Him. Cling to Him. Make sure that your eyes are fixed on Him. Don't, Don't take your eyes to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And do not blame other people for you not getting through your own troubles. He is a very present help in time of trouble. You and I will fail each other. Have grace and mercy toward one another. Jesus did. And he told them right before this, he said, love each other as I have loved you. Not not less than, not similar to, but not quite. Love each other as I have loved you, sacrificially, without any limitations. Being graceful toward each other, forgiving one another, having mercy, sacrificing yourself for one another, even if it means your own life. His closest friends let him down and he did not hold a grudge against them for not praying with him. I've come to you three times. You guys are done. Peter, James, John, you're out. Other guy, come, come over here. You're in. He didn't do that. Not at all. And really it was their loss of participation in the intimacy of prayer at the very moment. In preparation for what was to come. It was their loss. It wasn't anybody else's loss. It was their loss. Problems, temptations, troubles, and sorrows will come, but the spiritual battle is often won in prayer before you ever get into the midst of problems, temptations, troubles, and sorrows. When you spend time in prayer with the Lord, you're prepared for those moments. You're better prepared. You're drawing from that intimacy with the Lord. Jesus pleaded with the Father to allow this cup of wrath to pass him for the Father to accomplish the work of salvation another way if it were possible. That's what he was pleading with him for. But was at the same time completely given to following through with the will of the Father to accomplish his plan. Nonetheless, your will be done, not mine. I know what I'm going to. I know that cup of wrath is going to be poured out on me. Oh, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. 
Nonetheless, may your will be done, not mine. Jesus was prepared for Calvary because he prayed in Gethsemane. Peter would go on to deny Jesus three times. While the other disciples scattered, doubted the account of the resurrection of Jesus. And even when a little, when a little girl said that, um, you know, hey, Jesus is at the gate. He's knocking at the door. And she went in and they had a prayer meeting. They were all, they were all praying. Right? They're like, oh, no. It, it's not, you know. And so they, did, they didn't believe. And yet it was Jesus. They were in fear, praying behind closed doors. And then Jesus would appear to them. Number one, don't overestimate the flesh. Number two, don't underestimate prayer. Andrew Murray said this, quote, How does Satan stand in the way of prayer? He hinders it by the temptation to postpone or curtail it, by bringing in wandering thoughts and all sorts of distractions and through unbelief and hopelessness. Happy is the prayer here who, through it all, takes care to hold fast to his weapon and use it regularly. Like our Lord in Gethsemane, the more violently the enemy attacked, the more earnestly he prayed. And he did not stop until he had obtained victory. And indeed he did, right? Indeed he did. When considering prayer, are you too tired? Come anyway. Are you too busy? Come anyway. Oh, too overwhelmed. Come anyway. Are you distracted? Lack belief? Are you feeling depressed? Go to the garden. Drop to your knees and plead with the Father. Draw from Him. Bring the flesh under subjection to the Spirit. This is the manner in which the Lord was teaching Peter and James and John how to overwhelm the flesh with the Spirit through prayer. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Not that you won't be tempted, but that you won't enter into that temptation. Participate in it. Act on it. Because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He said, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, he was saying, I subject my body, my flesh, to the Spirit, to the very Word of God, and bring it under subjection, under control to the Word of God. Uh, Emotions, they're fine if they're... They bring you closer to the Lord. They are not fine if they lead you in the flesh. So even if you're feeling overwhelmed, distressed, anxious, this is when you, in the Spirit, 
have confidence and enough knowledge to say, no, this, this isn't right. I confess that. I repent. And you bring that, those, emo, those things into subjection, being controlled by the Spirit and the Word of God. At those times, pray anyway. Pray more. When Jesus' spirit was crushed and overwhelmed and tired and he was sorrowful, he not only went and prayed, but he took his friends with him and asked them to stay awake to watch and pray. Why? So that the Father would change his mind and perhaps if more people are praying in this direction, then we could change his mind? No. That the Father's heart would be exposed and known personally and theirs would come Closer to it, aligned with it, that no matter what they and us today endure, we would come to know that the Lord is with us, and in His strength we endure and we know victory. In Him, to His glory. And this was why, I'll close with this. This is why what's very dear to me are the words that are penned in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And I know you, you hear me say it a lot, but these are the very words that have brought me through much and have brought many other people through difficult times in their lives. Because Philippians 4, 6 begins with these words. Do not be anxious about anything. Have you been anxious about anything? Stressed out, distressed, you know, overwhelmed, any of that? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And why do I constantly bring that up? Why? Because our hearts and deceit are deceitful and wicked. Who can know them? The world says, trust your heart, go with your heart, and be happy. In the Bible, God is telling us, don't, don't trust your heart. Don't trust it. Your heart is, is all about me, myself, and I. It's all about you, and it's deceitful and wicked. It'll distract you, deceive you, it'll lie to you, it'll take you off course, it'll draw you back to yourself. Your mind. Oh, if you let your heart direct you, guess what your mind is going to do? You know what your thoughts are going to do? I pray this a lot with people at the hospital. What kind of thoughts are you having? Are they, are, are they wandering? Are they in line with God's word? Uh, do you, are you holding to his promises? Do you have that hope? These are thoughts. Be, oh, man, they're all over the place. Just try it. Just prayer. Just in prayer. Have you ever prayed and thought, what in the world am I thinking? Where did that thought come from? That wasn't even a part of my day. It's because the enemy knows that Time and prayer. Oh, that's an offensive right there. That, that's our offensive weapon as we come and we drop to our knees and we plead with the Lord, we go before Him. That's when, as we draw close to the Lord, God, He will draw near to us. 
He speaks to us. He helps us to bring our hearts in line with His. He helps us to be reminded of, those, of the thoughts that are His, that are above ours, according to His Word. Uh, it's that time of intercessing uh, for others, you know, standing in the gap, of crying out to Him and submitting to Him and repenting and confessing and doing all of those things. Oh, it's a powerful time. And when we submit to the Lord and allow Him to expose His heart to us and for us to grasp that and draw closer, that's a good place for us and a bad thing for the enemy. Our thoughts wander. We need to bring them in line with God's Word. And that's why, as we submit to the Lord in prayer, that anxiety, that distress, that feeling of being overwhelmed, of doubt, all of those things begin to dissipate. Why? Because we begin to see the Lord for who He is in our lives. His goodness, His strength, even in times of weakness. How it is that we do have hope in Him and we have salvation in Jesus Christ, which is enough in and of itself. And we begin to have a different perspective that all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That with man, all these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. We start to think on those things, and it starts to cover our hearts and our minds and protect them. Abiding in Christ and allowing that intimacy to be our comfort. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word once more. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember to never underestimate the power of prayer. At the same time, considering the flesh and knowing, oh, the flesh is is weak and it fails us. And you never will. You are faithful. I pray for anyone here who, Lord, is dealing with the things of the flesh or troubles and sorrows overwhelm them. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would remind them of the joy and hope that they know in you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Number one, knowing salvation. Number two, knowing truly no matter what state we're in that we can know abundant life we can know that peace which surpasses all understanding and how it does indeed guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for the church that we would not forsake coming together in prayer, looking to you, desiring you above all, Lord, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence, for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.